Welcome back to another episode of Big Ideas in Small Windows. I am Mike Gaskell, your host, and it's great to be back here with you on such a great topic. Today, we're going to explore the concept of flow and talk about a complete immersion in an activity leading to extraordinary productivity and creativity for students. This is such an important topic, and it's not really well spoken about in the education landscape. I wrote about this in my book, Leading Schools Through Trauma, which I'll link to, as well as some other topics. But this is really about pulling together some of the best strategies that students can use to optimize their focus and flow. We often refer to this as like being in the zone. Sometimes if a basketball player has made seven shots in a row or something, we'll say, oh, he or she is in the zone. And this is the same idea. We can accidentally find ourselves in flow. And I think all of us at some point in our lives have found ourselves in this incredible state of focus and optimization where our productivity just seems to accelerate and we seem to lose track of time. So there's a lot of research that's been done by some really cool scientists like Stephen Kotler. And I'll refer to some of his work and I'll refer to some of the things that I've referenced around that. And of course, tied into my book about leading schools through trauma. Leading schools through trauma is really about how to help kids get through the inevitable challenges of trauma. It's not like just a few kids experience trauma. And of course, there are varying degrees of it, but just about everybody, especially with the pandemic, has experienced trauma. So let's talk about how to work around or more importantly, through that trauma to experience just incredible success. And we often call this post-traumatic growth, but there's so much more to it and flows a piece of this. So we'll look at real stories of famous people describing a flow state that they may be experiencing in rich detail. And you're in flow you're at the peak of human potential. So let's dive right in. First of all, what is a flow state? What exactly is this thing? I talked a little bit about feeling like you're in the zone, but there are, of course, scientific geeks out there like Mikhail Chihekmisai, a researcher who described it as a total absorption where you lose track of time and physical senses, which almost sounds dangerous, but it's actually the opposite. It's, it's a complete laser focus into one thing. You feel energized and focused and you get this intrinsic reward from the activity itself, which is why I also refer to the satisfaction of deep work. Scientists explain flow as heightened concentration that pushes past normal cognitive limits, like being in a tunnel of laser focused performance. Now, achieving flow isn't easy. It's actually kind of hard, but we can harness it. Even temporary moments boost productivity, innovation, and satisfaction dramatically. So let me give an example. There was a musician named J-Hope who described composing 10 songs in one night because he entered a flow state. There was also an author of a book called A Christmas Carol who wrote that book in one night. Now, these guys were completely immersed in making their tracks or their book and carefully, in the case of the musician, crafting every chord progression and melody to precise perfection. He didn't notice the hours passing by. When the album was done, he felt an incredible sense of achievement, of fulfillment. And that's one of the most motivating parts of how we can optimize our focus and be in a state of flow. So what are some conditions that drive this optimal performance state? Because these are things that if we can engineer, 
we certainly want kids to be able to tap into and understand and learn how to use when they need it. So let's talk a little bit about the conditions for flow and factors that enable entering a flow state. Clear goals and instant feedback are necessary. So by that, it sounds kind of obvious, but this is what I like to call a head bob moment. Yes, it's obvious, but it doesn't hurt to hear it and in the structured way. We need to know what the objective is, what the end goal is. And if we're clear about that, we can start to set up the parameters and achieve it. And then we also benefit from instant feedback. So we need to experience knowing, and I often refer to this as small wins, celebrating those small milestones. We can have this done externally or when we become more mature students or young adults, we can also engineer this ourselves. We can take that moment to celebrate. Wow, I just worked three hours. I got all this written work done and now I'm going to go celebrate. I'm going to go have a, a piece of cake or a great cup of coffee or whatever it is that motivates me and makes me feel good about what I just did. And then you associate that with the success alongside the intrinsic value of that high motivational productivity satisfaction. Now, knowing your task and progress provides an immersive focus. For instance, the basketball player Stephen Curry described being in flow during a playoff game. His sole focus was making smart passes to assist teammates. That was his only thing that he was concentrating on. Every time he successfully passed the ball, the crowd cheered loudly. This was instant feedback. And that's what kept him totally focused on executing each play perfectly. As a secondary note, when you do things like focus on just passing, you often find yourselves subconsciously generalizing that to other sub-skills. So for instance, maybe he ran a little harder. Maybe he was moving in a direction that he knew would most efficiently get his team into a scoring position. So you start to generalize these things in that way. So balancing skill and challenge is the other part of striking the optimization field for flow. So flow occurs when you stretch goals close to the edge. Stephen Kyler talks about this as 4% or 5% outside of your comfort zone. Now, you might think, well, what does that mean, 4%, 5%? I think it's really important to point this out. There isn't an exact science to that. His whole point is it's just outside of your comfort zone so that you are near your comfort zone, but you're moving a little bit away from it. So you're not so far down the road, though, that you're overwhelmed. For instance, here's another example. The author Haruki Murakami said writing his 1,200-page novel. Now think about that, 1,200 pages. That's like a Stephen King-length novel. IQ84 induced intense daily flow. The complex idea stretched his writing skills tremendously. So getting just outside of his normal zone and knowing he had this giant opportunity and project, and that's how he saw it, like a growth mindset, he felt completely engaged in the story, not stretched or stressed. And after three years, finished it. The output was so rewarding for him, and it was such a remarkable achievement. So thirdly, minimizing distractions. We need to think about multitasking, how that is dangerous. It can disrupt the attentive tunnel vision that flow requires. Let's we'll talk about the benefits of multitasking. And more recently, people have explained why that's actually so bad, because you're not really multitasking. You're just disruptively moving in a lower 
level fashion from one skill set to another and in such a way that never really gets you to a deeper level of productivity, that deep work concept that I mentioned previously. So therefore, clarity, challenge, and concentration set the stage for peak performance. These three pieces, clarity, which is your end goal, your focus, challenge, which means just getting above, and then, of course, that full and complete concentration. There can be no disruptions that interfere. And so in our busy, constant pinging and ponging world with phones going off and deadlines that are screaming in our ear and whatever, those things are actually really bad for flow. And if we can move away from those things, and a really good example I use in my book is get off of social media, at least for an extended period of time, because that's one of the ones that brings us right back to a primal state, which is the opposite of flow. So what are some practical ways to achieve this? We're going to talk about how we enter flow, because I mentioned all of us at some point have accidentally entered flow. It's happened to us and we've experienced and said, well, that was a great moment or series of events that I was able to accomplish this thing. Well, here are some techniques and examples to help drive flow based on some research that I've done. And it's really neat because, like I said, you can engineer this. You don't have to accidentally fall into that. You can arrange this. So the first thing is, it seems obvious, but it's so important to schedule distraction-free deep work sessions by blocking off time. For instance, the artist Pablo Picasso would lock himself alone in a room from sunrise to sunset with just a paint and canvas. No disruptions allowed him to enter this intense flow state while painting masterpieces. Now, I'm not saying that you lock yourself in from sunrise to sunset, and for most of us, that's virtually impossible. But we do, in, our, in the flow research, find that 90 minutes of undisrupted time is going to make you exponentially more productive and going to really make you disproportionately achieve things in that 90 minutes that sometimes people don't do all day. And so if you can sort of section off your times and the body and circadian rhythm and everything else, even sleep patterns tend to run in about 90 minute cycles. So, so does things like focus. And if we know that and we're able to harness, let's say an hour and a half here or there in a really important time frame we can achieve a lot so keep that in mind we want to use tools like coffee house chatter and i've talked about this i've written about it this is a background noise to boost creative flow now using coffee house background noises can help children focus and get into a state of flow and it's an unconventional yet potentially really effective approach think about it every teacher has computers with speakers in their classroom now and because of that they can play this ambient noise for kids a lot of times you might, we might go into classrooms and hear classical music. That's also good. But coffeehouse chatter does an even more zoning effect based on the research. Its background noises mimic the ambient sounds found in coffee shops, which are often associated with a relaxed and yet productive atmosphere. Think of that balance. Right? We're really focused, but in a relaxed and sort of deliberate way. Here's how these noises can benefit children. First of all, there's something called atmospheric immersion. Coffeehouse background noises create an immersive auditory environment that can sort of transport children to a different setting mentally. This is a lot like reading a great book and feeling like you're living vicariously through that book, that you're actually mirroring the same brainwaves as the speaker telling that story or sharing events that happened in their life. This can help in blocking out distracting 
either home if it's happening in the uh, residence or a classroom group of noises, even just a, a heater that's humming along bothering a kid, or worse, when it turns off and kids realize, oh my gosh, that thing was humming and I'm so focused now I can't not hear that silence and create a focused mental space. Now, in this way, we can think of it as a distracted focus. Now, I talk about the term distracted focus first to a state in which individuals are able to concentrate on a specific task despite the presence of potential distractors around them. Shielding that stuff out, it's it's pushing it away because something like coffeehouse chatter or coffeehouse background noises can help create the state by providing a controlled and somewhat stimulating environment because of that ambient noise. It's not just white noise. It's a targeted focus noise. It's the perfect level. We call it the sweet spot of noise level that's just enough to distract us away from the things that have the potential to negatively impact us and then balance that with focusing us on the things we need to. So it allows individuals to stay on task even when other distractions are present. So a little bit more about how this works. Coffeehouse noises introduce a level of background distractions in the form of conversations, clinking of cups, and soft music. I want to emphasize something. If I'm in a coffee house and I'm sitting behind a couple that's breaking up and I can hear that dialogue directly, I can't not listen to that. It's too disruptive. It's too interesting. And I get distracted away from what I need to focus on. So understand that this is not clear, audible interpretation of what's happening. Instead, what it is, is it's inaudible or uncomprehensible background noise. We know what we're talking about when we hear this. We often hear this in a coffee house. So think about that the next time you're in a busy, clattering and chattering coffee house. And how kind of sets you into this mood? That's not by coincidence. It really does work. And these distractions are not overwhelming, but provide a gentle, constant, soothing level of stimulation. There's also something called selective attention. Now, when individuals are exposed to coffeehouse noises, they can engage in what psychologists call selective attention. They get to choose to focus on the task at hand while subconsciously filtering out other distractible noises or disruptions. The brain prioritizes the relevant task and reduces or extinguishes the perception of irrelevant distractions. You might notice this when you're not really paying attention to a TV show uh, that somebody else is watching and you're just zoning out. There's also this topic called auditory masking and the noise from a coffee house can act as a form of auditory masking where the background sounds make it harder for other more disruptive noises to reach the conscious awareness of individuals. So tied into what I was saying right before this with selective attention, but also actually doing this at the same time as, and this can be particularly helpful in drowning out sudden or intermittent distractions, such as a loud car passing by, a dog barking, whatever the thing is that might otherwise throw you off. I even use the exact opposite example of a vent or a heater humming along in a classroom, and then all of a sudden it just shuts off. And you didn't notice it before, but now you've actually noticed the silence. So it can work in reverse too. It's also a comfortable distraction. The level of distraction provided by coffeehouse background noise is often comfortable and non-intrusive. And that's again, because it's this indistinguishable, soothing, methodical melody almost. And it can create that sense of comfort and familiarity, much like working in a cozy coffee shop. This comfortable level of distraction can actually enhance focus by preventing individuals from becoming overly self-conscious 
or anxious about potential distractions. There's another thing about routine and context. Using coffeehouse noises as part of a study or work routine can establish a specific context for a focused activity. A really good example of this is if you have a ritual of getting coffee in the morning to get your day started. This is just like that. It's kind of that ritualistic channeling of your brain into, okay, this is what I'm expected to do next. And it really works because we are predictable in most of what we respond to as human beings. And this is one way to set the tone and engineer that. So over time, the brain associates this context with productivity and can more readily enter a state of distracted focus. Reduction of cognitive load is another part of this. In some cases, complete silence can be mentally taxing. I used the example before of going from a humming vent to shutting off silently. And as individuals become overly aware of every small sound, coffee house noises can reduce the cognitive load by providing a consistent and predictable auditory environment. The brain likes consistency and we get to gain comfort in hearing that. And that's why it sounds soothing and melodic because it's predictable and it helps us to zone in then. That's why we talk about maybe getting into the zone this way. This reduction in cognitive load can free up mental resources for the primary task at hand. Boy, isn't that what we're trying to do with all these distractions around us? Enhanced flow with distracted focus can facilitate the transition into a state of flow where individuals become fully immersed in their work, lose track of time and perform at their best. The presence of controlled distractions like coffeehouse noises can help some people, probably most, according to the research, achieve the optimal state of productivity. You, you'll never hear me say this is a silver bullet for everyone. There's a menu of options and you need to just find the things like on a diner menu that work for you, that you want, that you know will help you. Associative benefits include how many people will link coffee shops with productivity and concentration. The sounds of coffee machines, chatter, and light music can trigger a conditioned response in children and adults, making them feel more inclined to concentrate and work diligently. Improved concentration. For some children, the gentle hum of conversation and clinking of cups can provide a soothing and non-disruptive backdrop. This can assist in maintaining attention on tasks, especially those that require sustained focus. Reduced sensory overload. In some cases, children may struggle with sensory overload or hypersensitivity to certain environmental stimuli. And things like coffee house background noises, well, when appropriately adjusted in volume, and that's another key factor. That's why we know just being in a coffee house tends to be the ideal one, unless it gets too loud. Have you ever noticed you say, geez, it's just a little too loud in here? That's when you know it's not the ideal sweet spot. Most coffee houses can wing this, but we can also engineer it with resources from online like at YouTube. And these can serve a consistent and predictable sensory input, reducing distractions from other unpredictable noises. Then there's enhanced creativity. Coffeehouse environments are known for fostering creativity. You see people losing themselves in doing something, writing a book or whatever. People often talk about this. I was in this coffee shop and I spent 10 hours getting this project done. The ambient sound can create a relaxed state of mind, allowing students to think more freely and creatively with that background noise coming out of the computer speakers. This is particularly helpful for tasks that require brainstorming and idea generation. So when we're really thinking about those creative states and analysis and evaluation and idea forming, this is a great 
stage to set by creating that climate with that background noise. Stress reduction is the gentle rhythmic background noise of a coffee house that can have a calming effect in reducing stress and anxiety. Lower stress levels can improve a child's ability to concentrate and enter a state of flow. Customizable experience. Parents and educators can adjust the volume and specific background noises to suit individual preferences when you're playing this off of YouTube or another audio source. I often recommend YouTube because there's tons of coffeehouse background flow resources that we can pick from. So for instance, some children might find the sound of rain mixed with coffee shop ambience particularly soothing and conducive to focus. Routine and ritual. Establishing a routine of working or studying in a coffeehouse-like environment can help children mentally prepare for focused work. This ritual can signal to the brain that it's time to concentrate and enter a flow state. It's important to note that while coffeehouse background noises are helpful for most children, they may not work for just about everybody. That's why I talked about the menu and offering other options. Individual preferences, and sensitivities, of course they vary. And what works as a focus-enhancing tool for one may not work for another student. Additionally, moderation is key. As long as prolonged exposure to any background noise, even pleasant ones can ultimately become too much, even fatiguing. So we balance this with other experiences. That's why I use the 90-minute example. Incorporating coffeehouse background noises into a child's study or work routine can be a creative and enjoyable way to enhance their focus and potentially help them enter a state of flow. For instance, the author, Jonathan Franzen, listening to 10-hour recordings of Hush Cafe noises while writing novels. The low murmurs induce creative flow by reducing distracting silence, allowing him to get into a flowy state for writing. Now, another tool that I like to offer that's also an ambient one is trying binaural beats, which is an audio stimuli to induce concentrated common focus. Now, binaural beats are an auditory phenomenon that can be used to potentially help children focus and get into a state of flow. I want to highlight a difference here. Coffeehouse chatter, full class. Okay, everybody in the room can listen to it. Binaural beats, headphones or earpieces are in. And the reason that matters is you have to have two different tones in each ear to create what we like to call a third virtual tone that starts to be picked up after about five minutes of listening. Now, these beats are created by playing the slightly different frequencies, resulting in that third frequency known as a binaural beat that's not real. It's actually just perceived. It's made up by the brain. And that's one of the really cool things that the brain can do, almost playing a trick on us. The concept is that these beats can have specific effects on brainwave activity and mental states. Here's how they might help children. Brainwave enhancement. Binaural beats can influence brainwave patterns. Different brain wave frequencies are associated with various mental states. For instance, the beta wave state is linked to active thinking and problem solving, while the alpha and theta states are related to relaxation, creativity, and our coffeehouse chatter tends to sit between theta and alpha. Makes sense. Relaxation and creativity. By listening to binaural beats, children can potentially shift their brain waves into a state conducive to focus and flow. Enhance concentration. Binaural beats may help children concentrate better by encouraging the brain to enter a state associated with heightened focus. For tasks requiring sustained attention, such as studying or homework, listening to binaural beats specifically designed for focus could and most likely will potentially improve concentration levels. Again, remember the menu. Pick the thing that works. 
And if a kid's working well with binaural beats in their ears and they don't need to listen to a class-wide discussion, this is something they can select. Stress reduction is another area of benefit. Anxiety and stress can be significant obstacles to focus and flow. Binaural beats in the alpha and theta frequencies have been associated with relaxation and stress reduction. By calming the mind, these beats can help children manage stress and anxiety, making it easier for them to engage in tasks and achieve a state of flow. Improved cognitive performance. Some research suggests binaural beats may enhance cognitive performance, including memory, problem solving, and creativity. These cognitive enhancements can contribute to a child's ability to engage in a task and enter a flow state more easily. Engineering this. Enhanced mood. A positive mood is often conducive to improve focus and productivity. And these work chicken and egg, by the way, because productivity tends, especially this immense kind you can get from flow, to give a very rewarding state of mind for the person. Binaural beats, particularly those designed for mood enhancement, can help children maintain a positive emotional state while working on tasks, making it easier to enter a flow state. Customized frequencies. Binaural beats can be customized for different purposes. This means parents and educators can select specific frequencies that align with a child's needs. For example, if a child struggles with hyperactivity, they can listen to binaural beats designed to calm the mind and enhance focus. Reduce distractions. Binaural beats, when used with headphones, can help create an auditory environment that reduces external distractions. Bingo. This can be particularly beneficial for children who are easily distracted and need a quiet, focused atmosphere to get into flow. By the way, I'd argue that's just about every child. Just like the inventor Nikola Tesla, who played specially configured binaural beats frequencies in his lab for hours. These sound pulses trigger deep flow states allowing him to visualize revolutionary new machines. And I think we know what some of those machines are today. The path to flow state is unique for each person, but with the right conditions, we all can tap into optimal performance. And why wouldn't we? Flow for potential. So why does achieving flow matter beyond each experience? Well, because regular flow leverages exponential growth in skills over time a compound effect. Eventually, you can access flow more readily as second nature and continue to build upward on this. Imagine what students could achieve if educators helped them tap into classroom flow frequently. This is amazing. We should be using this. This is why I'm on this podcast promoting it. The knowledge and abilities they could unlock are immense. That wraps up our deep dive on flow state and just two particular ways we can tap into it. I hope these ideas and detailed stories help demystify this gateway to extraordinary productivity and learning. Until next time, this is your host, Mike Gaskell with Big Ideas in Small Windows. Thanks for listening.